You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to this Wednesday edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today, Boy, oh boy, do we have a fun one. We are talking about Miles Turner, specifically his interview on the record with the Athletics' Jared Weiss about his future, the future of the Pacers, or the future of the Pacers as told by Rick Carlisle and Kevin Pritchard, where this team is headed, lots to get to, and no better person to join me to talk about an article written by Jared Weiss than Jared Weiss himself. Jared, how's it going? I love the irony that your name is Tony East and you write for the West Side. That's That's just perfect. I know I need to start a blog covering just like the Eastern Conference. Like it's it's too easy, but there's no there's no demand for conference specific content or else I have or or you could cover the Tonys. I mean, that's another way to go with it. You know, I don't actually know what the Tonys is awards for. Isn't it like plays, right? It's pro- uh, yeah, plays, yeah. Plays? Yeah, I am not into the plays enough to 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 give out Tony awards. You can get a Tony award for coming on this podcast despite our several technical difficulties that led to this moment. But we are here and Jared and the Athletics specifically deserve a lot of dap because it's very rare in the modern era for outlets to send people to other places to cover stuff for an extended period now. And Jared was in Indiana, immersed with the Pacers for four days, five days? I think it was five days, yeah. Yeah, it was a long time, right around the Big Ten tournament, or Big Ten championship game, too, for football. So you got the full indie experience for a fun weekend, which was cool. What was so funny was I was staying in a hotel right next to Lucas Oil Stadium, and when I went to go book my hotels, I booked it like a little late, only like a couple of weeks before my trip. I didn't understand why ever, there were no hotels left in the city, and they were all $300 for like a two-star Hilton. And then when I got there, the guy at the front desk asked me, so who are you rooting for? And I thought he was talking about the Pacers. I'm like, wow, people are really passionate about the Pacers here. So I told him, like, oh, I'm just here for work. I, you know, I'm just here to watch the game. I don't really care. Um, and he was like, how could you not care about the game? And I just I just remember going through the next 24 hours, like, why was this guy so obsessed with the Pacers in Miami game? And then I started noticing all the Michigan and Iowa jerseys around my hotel, and I realized what was going on. <laughs> oh, that is funny. I, you didn't tell me that part. That is hysterical. Yeah, I really do not pay attention to college sports. I scout basketball, and that's pretty much it. It's pretty funny how many people descend on the city, and that's how I usually know that big events are happening. I'm like, oh, the Colts play today because there's a swarm of people walking outside my apartment in, in Andrew Luck jerseys or whatever. Jared talked to Miles Turner for forever, and Kevin Pritchard and <laughs> Rick Carlisle and Sabonis, everybody. But I, we have to start with Miles. He's the subject of the story, and it's really fascinating that that he went on the record and said, I want a bigger role. He didn't say necessarily with the Pacers or with someone else. He just said, and as he clarified to media the next day, I've been doing the same thing for a long time. I think I'm very good at it. I've worked on the things they told me to work on. And now I want, as anyone would want in their job, a promotion. I want to know what I'm supposed to do now with a little more gusto and a little more clarity. Were you at all surprised, Jared, when you talked to him and when you kind of canvass the way the Pacers have gone for the last few years that he said these things uh, and expressed these feelings? Uh, honestly, the part that surprised me was uh, at the presser when uh, I'm sorry, I forget the Indy Star reporter's name. I uh, didn't get a chance to actually meet him in person, but he asked uh, he asked about my story, and Miles was like, "Well, don't y'all you guys want to be senior writers too one day?" And I was like, "Wow, Miles is pulling out the J school knowledge here. He really did his research on this one." Um, 
but you know, you know, Miles, Miles is a really smart dude. He's a really fascinating guy. You know, there's a lot of, yeah, I know there was this whole push over the last few years to recognize NBA players as more than just athletes and stuff like that. You know, in reality, a lot of these guys are just, you know, they're just dudes that like to chill and, you know, they are pretty jockish and they, you know, they, they live, they live pretty straightforward lives. Not a lot of them are, you know, really, uh, you know, obsessed with intellectual or artistic pursuits and stuff like that. Well, Miles is like a very cosmopolitan guy and, that was what was really interesting to see, especially because when I came into it, I was you know, kind of knew that he was he was you know more than just like your run of the mill athlete, and I kind of thought when I would get to Indiana, I would get this sense of you know maybe like his his more worldly um, aesthetics and desires wouldn't mesh with a place like Indianapolis, which isn't exactly the most vibrant NBA city in the country when it comes to culture and all that kind of stuff. Although it's getting to spend time in India, you know, in India, I definitely got to see a lot of that stuff and appreciate a lot of it. I was surprised to see that the situation wasn't quite as ready for a divorce as I kind of expected it would be when I walked into it. And I do think that Miles's thing was just that, like, he, it's it's time for something to change for him. Like, he's he's shown himself enough that he is he wants a team, ideally the Pacers. I think that was pretty clear. Ideally the Pacers to really lean into giving him the opportunity to do the things that he does a lot throughout the game, as opposed to just like getting to pick his spots. And the thing is, is that obviously sitting down with Carlisle and Pritchard and trying to hear the other side to that story. You know, they were saying like, well, yeah, like we'd love for him to do that, but we've got a bunch of other guys out there that also are kind of in the same boat and we need to balance that. And, you know, Miles, I think what's tricky for Miles is that Miles is in a growth phase right now in his offensive game. So he's in this weird place where he uh, like I think his offensive development right now is maybe more in like the just coming off of a rookie contract phase than it is for most guys that are in the what seventh year of his career because he had to kind of shift roles halfway through his career. So he's just getting good at putting the ball on the floor. He's just able to start making better rim reads. He's obviously finally become a really good knockdown shooter. But so I, I think that he he's thinking, I've been in the league so long, it's like it's time for them to really trust my offense. And they're looking at it as your offense is just starting to round out now and you're you're, you're not quite at that point. And so I, I, there's not really like a clean solution to it besides like they got to either play like they did in the Knicks game every single night and then everybody will be happy because I mean they looked like a serious playoff team in that game or they're gonna have to make a move which I think we I think we can all agree the latter is the most likely outcome yeah then there's the Warriors game that happened Monday where you know he he can't get as involved and his shots are a little tougher and he's one for ten and you know it's the flip side of why he's asking for clarity in a more defined role because he got looks that night he shot 10 times but none of them were like the stuff he was talking about where he won like he specifically mentioned a one post up he got against i think it was the knicks it might have been the friday game against the mavs is a shot he really liked to get right and so it's a tough balance of like getting a guy a bigger role that he feels he deserves but also you have to win you can't lose and they smoked the knicks right that was the perfect time for him to have that conversation they ran the first play of the game very obviously designed for him. And I can understand him running role clarity. And something else that really stood out to me in what he said to you and, and as he talks about his future is like, he doesn't feel he's a finished product. And I'm more sympathetic to that than I think most people who cover the NBA because Oladipo came to Indiana at age 25 and went from like a dude people were calling an overpaid, like sixth man kind of microwave sport to like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. Like this guy is all NBA level, almost pushing LeBron out of the playoffs in the first round that looked good at age 25, right? So, like, 
the Pacers have gotten those that level of improvement from guys at this stage before, and Turner feels like he can do that, which is why he wants that clarity of how can I how can you get me my my one or two post ups a game? I feel I can do that. I've been working on that. I would like to come off the screens for threes more often. I am good at that. I've been working on that, as you say, and you're still not letting me play. And as I've kind of discussed his role and why he might want this, like there are games this season where he plays like 15 minutes or 22 minutes for no reason. It's very strange. So I can see where he's like, I earned this and, and I deserve it. And that that's what made it so so interesting to me is like, I totally get where he's coming from. It's just, it was he's never been the guy that's like that. And I was very surprised to hear him do it. But I think in Indiana where we've seen Oladipo do it, it's not surprising that he came out in that way. You know, I, I think this goes back to, I forget exactly which offseason this was, but a few years back, the team sent him to work with Kevin McHale during the offseason. I'm not sure if that's already out there. I'm sure it probably is from a few years back. But so he spent the summer working with McHale on his post-up game. And then he says he told me that he got back to the team, had a training camp, and they were like, we need you to be a floor spacer. And he was like, what the hell? I just spent the whole offseason working on being a great post-up player. And now you want me to learn a new role as the season is starting? And that's when he really struggled because he, he had to basically become a shooting guard all of a sudden after spending the whole season working as a center. And he got it. Like, he understood. Like, Domas, it's pretty clear when, it, just like with Depot, it's pretty clear when he got there, there was something to uncover. And it's amazing how that trade, which we'll get into in a minute with, with the whole Pritchard side of this conversation, it's like they made the PG trade and they got four straight all-star seasons out of the guys they got in that trade. And Domas is while Domas has a lot of flaws and there's definitely a real discussion to be had about if you're a team out there, would you rather trade for miles or Domas? It obviously depends on how your team is structured, but like Domas is really damn good in the pick and roll, which is kind of a new thing for him. And we'll get into how he feels about that. Cause he's not feeling amazing about it. That's for sure. He's not crazy. He's not crazy about his role either, but you know, Domas was so good in the post. He was so good in the pick and roll and, and, and so good at all these things that Miles is just learning how to do or was just learning how to do that. I think Miles was like, OK, it's not just that they want me to sacrifice and I got to do what the team wants me to do. But like, I understand why I need to do it and I can see why I need to do it. And I think just he reasonably thought, especially now that he was on a big contract, that it would only last maybe a year, maybe a year and a half before then they would kind of like rephase him back into a more involved role. And it's, he's kind of become less involved, you know, at least under Bjorkren, he felt like he had a lot more freedom to put the ball on the floor and really develop that game. And he felt like he got better, which I agree with. I definitely see that. Um, and I was someone who I told, I told miles like back a couple of years ago when the Celtics were about to trade for him, I thought he was overrated at the time. Um, and he's just gotten so much better in the last couple of years. He just doesn't really get to show it that often. But so this year, I think he felt kind of like he was in a straitjacket under Carlisle. And there needed to be more conversations with Carlisle to really help him understand and help Carlisle understand how they can best kind of fulfill each other. And when I got there and started talking to people and all the buzz started kind of happening within the organization, you know, once I arrived, it's like it was pretty obvious how things started to rapidly change. And even before my article came out, they already started making the changes responding to what was happening with the story. And that's how we saw the uh who was who they beat? It was the Wizards they beat on uh, Monday night, and then the you know the Knicks game. And those were two of Miles' best games of the year. Yeah, Bjorkren really unlocked his confidence last year and gave him more freedom to. to, to it's so simple to say out loud, but Shafe can put it on the floor, right? And because he's such yep. a good shooter, that unlocked a lot for him, and it was huge. It was really awesome to see. As as we're talking right now, Jared Weiss, Steph Curry, now the all-time leading three-point makes player in NBA history. Also, one more thing is Giannis is out for the Pacers game. 
I did just tweet that while you were talking. Oh, nice. <laughs> Looking down at my phone the entire time. Real podcasting pro over here. Yeah, yes. Uh, the second screen is very clutch for me in these situations. Hey, guys. Quick little break to talk about the good folks over at Stance, an apparel company that I've been hearing a lot about lately, especially because they just launched a new active apparel line. It's holiday gift-giving time, and Stance is the coolest gift you can give. They're incredibly comfortable and well-made with socks, shirts, and joggers, and hoodies that are different versus your boring old socks and underwear. They're so much comfier. They're way more colorful and creative, more so than any other clothing that I've really ever owned before. Since 2009, they've been founded, and their apparel represents a radical reinvention of socks, underwear, and active apparel with a sharp focus on comfort, quality, and creativity. Stance brings an atypical aesthetic alongside some of pop culture's hottest collaborators for the ultimate in style and self-expression because everything you wear should be a direct extension of who you are and how you feel. Stance believes that the perfect fit matters more than fitting in. Those who feel good, do good. Go see for yourself. Register for an account at stance.com and get 15% off your first purchase. Just use the promo code Locked On on one word at checkout to apply. Enjoy the color and comfort of a life less ordinary with Stance. Try today. Stance.com. Locked On. Yeah, but you know he played well in, in those two games, like you said, and uh, it, it's fascinating to see how this organization has kind of pivoted in the last couple of weeks since then, but you talked about something twice already, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's either going to be, he, they find a way to get him a bigger role or potentially a trade. And you talked about the Celtics side of this, where you thought he might be coming to Boston. I mean, I think it's been kind of well reported how close that was to happening and Hayward's wrong on that, but did you ever think that was going to happen? And the Pacers yes. are pretty clear about that. They're always transparent about talking to players when they're in trade talks. They always know. I mean, do you think that's kind of changed miles mindset is knowing how close that was to happening as he's kind of progressed in the last two years since. Because like he said in one of our presses recently, he's in trade talks, it feels like, every day. Oh, that was hilarious. The, yeah, it's like, come on, bro, you must be new here, but I'm always in trade talks, um, which isn't a problem for him, uh, you know, as, as, as we know now that he's saying, like, hey, I'd like to get a new role. Uh, and if it's not going to be here, it's got to be somewhere else, obviously. So I, I did a lot of reporting on that deal. And at one point, I had heard the deal is approaching the finish line. This is probably going to get done in the next 24 hours. I didn't put that out. And I'm glad I didn't put that out because it turned out not to be true. Um, but that's how far along it got to the point that, I mean, he was up. He was getting informed on a pretty regular basis about what was happening. And basically what happened with that deal, I put it in the story. I'm not sure how much has been reported elsewhere. I don't think it really has. But basically, the Celtics were dragging their feet on that deal. And the main reason was that not only were they not super high on Miles at the time, who was getting paid a lot for a center at that point. You know, he was making, what, 17 and a half. And at that time, where the cap was, 17 and a half was so far above the mid-level exception, but so below max. That was like this really tricky no-man's land to have a center. And ironically, they ended up paying Rob Williams, who's only a year younger and can't shoot the ball, but can do a lot of the other stuff that Miles does really well. They ended up paying him fourteen million. So now I'm I'm wondering maybe they would actually like to trade for Miles because of that. But so the point is is that not only were they not that high on Miles for the value, but they looked around the league and they weren't finding many takers for Miles as well. So they didn't think they could really flip him. So they ended up going with they paid a couple second round picks to get a trade exception. They turned it into uh, barely any playing time for Evan Fournier and now Josh Richardson, who has had a pretty up and down season. So they bungled that pretty badly. Clearly, like they obviously should have traded for Miles and then figured out what to do with Rob Williams. The Celtics, that was one of the many big mistakes that they've made over time. Although, hey, maybe Josh Richardson will really get it together this year and be a big contributor. But obviously, Miles is a, is a good and he has a chance to be a very good starter with the right role. So 
I, he was so aware of what was happening in that situation. And I mean, after a certain point when you're like, you, you start getting ready to get traded, it doesn't matter how much you tell yourself, I know this might not happen. I know I need to like be ready to like not to just think this isn't going to happen and I need to go back to where I am. But come on, like that, when you, when you think you're about to get an amazing job and then you don't get it, it's, you can't just tap right back in into your old job and, you know, and go back to normal. Like it always chips away at you a little bit. And this has happened to him over and over. Like there's just, there's been a lot of teams trying to trade for him. And I think his biggest frustration is that, the Pacers generally haven't been that receptive to it. They just haven't really wanted to make a trade and they've been holding out with really high value and that's why he's still there. And so I think a big part of him wanting to do the story with me was just that he wanted to push the Pacers to just be willing to lower their asking price and actually get a deal done if they're going to get a deal done. Yeah, I, I understand how that can be tough for him mentally too. It's like every year there's a five to six team list of teams that are not like like – yeah, Miles would be a good fit interest level. Like we're making the calls and trying to trying to have this guy. Like Charlotte, every year it felt like for a while it was like, hey, uh, please. You know, it never really it never really materialized. But you know, that cannot be easy, like you said, when you think that that could happen. And, and it's good that the Pacers are transparent about all this stuff. Every player has talked about how how nice that is in a league where drop of a hat you can change teams and contracts don't really mean all ton. It's just. How nice it is to have that transparency but when you get the transparency more than once and yet you're still not on the move it has to be tough from a mindset perspective especially when you have that summer where you know nate mcmillan tells you and, and the org tells you to, to post up and work on your interior game and then you get to camp and they're like see that corner over there go stand there uh <laughs> for the next 50 minutes or so and we'll figure out your role from there so certainly some unlocking has been done since then and his career has been crazy but i i cannot fault him at all for thinking that he wants a big role, and I can't also fault the Pacers for saying, we're not so sure about that. We've had you for seven years, and we don't know that that's the best thing. So it's going to be an interesting kind of push and pull from them. And, you know, you mentioned trades. We'll get to that in a moment. But as you talk to Carlisle and Pritchard about Miles and about the direction of the Pacers in general, because, again, there was a lot of stuff going on at the same time while you were here. What did you kind of get the sense uh, what the, that they kind of felt about the direction of the Pacers? Because the word rebuild was used in this meeting with – the, the leaders was thrown around, but the, the history of the Pacers franchise suggests that rebuild is the wrong word and maybe they'll retool. Carlisle's not a coach who would love a teardown or anything like that. Like what kind of vibe and feeling did you get from those, those two decision makers and leaders in the organization about where this team might be headed? I would say the first thing is don't rule out Carlisle being on board for a rebuild. I don't think they're ever going to be in a situation where they're going to clear the deck and try to win the lottery. I don't think that's ever going to be their MO. And Pritchard basically said that on the record. I mean, he he explained the rationale of the PG trade about how they wanted to get good young players instead of draft picks. And it's a pretty clear intimation that if they're going to do this again, that's how they're going to do it. And, you know, he, he said that stuff about how, you know, we need to figure out how to manufacture a star and, you know, maybe we have that in the building, but we can't go to free agency. So we got to make a trade like that if we're going to do it. And then he issued an apology that I really didn't think he needed to do, honestly. Um, I, I, my, my read on that was that I think Domas was pretty pissed when he heard that Pritchard said that. And Domas is like, well, I just made two straight all-star teams. So even if, even if people can disagree on whether or not I'm a star, I am an all-star. So I am a star. And... You know, Pritchard's point, and Pritchard, I think, said he regretted using the word star, which I, I get it because there clearly was blowback, but like I thought his quote was pretty fine, honestly. But I think his point is whether they can have someone that they can build an actual, you know, 50, 50 win team around. And that obviously hasn't been the case at all. And so, 
you know, Domas may be an all-star and we'll see if he makes it this year, but like they're not, they're, they've been going downhill ever since the PG trade, or I guess ever since that first round against Cleveland, like it's been getting slowly and slowly worse and worse and worse results wise. And it's funny because you watch this team this year and I actually really like what Carlisle is doing in theory. I like how he's trying to get Domas on the move more. Obviously, it's a problem when Domas rolls and then he flares out to the corner and then the team lets him shoot the three and that's not working because Domas isn't ready to be a shooter yet. So like they have to figure that out. But I do like the idea that they're not clogging up the lane with Domas anymore because I thought that was just it was that was never going to work unless Domas is going to be a you know Jokic level player like Jokic is the only, Jokic and Embiid are the only players in the league that can pull that off. Um, so you know I I, I do like. I like that Pritchard. I think what he was trying to say with this is basically we are not blowing this up right now, but we got to if this isn't working by February, then obviously we need to make a decision here. One more break to talk about two awesome groups of people. First up, the good folks over at betonline.ag who have you covered this season with more props, odds and lines than ever before. As football season continues the march to the playoffs, BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head over to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code locked on, all one word, to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Sign up with that code locked on again today. Bet online where the game is. Start. So let's also talk about the good folks over at Built Bar who are making the best tasting protein bars ever. They are 100% covered in chocolate, delicious protein bars. So many Locked On Pacers listeners have told me that they love the the Built Bars that they have tried. I love the peanut butter brownie flavor. The mint brownie flavor is really popular. My girlfriend loves the double chocolate one. They're all absolutely delicious. They'll give you that extra fuel you need to bust down those mall doors this holiday season in battle those holiday shoppers, but everyone's super passionate about their favorite flavor. Try to have Santa throw a few in your stockings or whatever you do for the holiday season. Just make sure you try Built Bars today. Super low in car and net carbs, calories, sugar, and fat, but really high in protein. Delicious, super healthy, great for the health-conscious person. You absolutely have to try them today. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. That promo code, again, is LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Yeah, I think that, that that makes a lot of sense for the, the franchise to kind of feel that way. And, yeah, you mentioned they've been going downhill for a while. I feel like that, in my head, is kind of a driver of all this, right? Like, basically, since Vic got hurt in that game against Toronto in late 2018, early 2019, I should know that better, uh, early 2019, that is when it all changed because he was still just a bit shy, I would say, but he was still pretty close to that All-NBA level for the first two for or sure. so months of 2018-19. He was awesome. He was an all-star. He got named an all-star. He was better. Yeah, his defense was certainly better, right? Like, he got hurt so close to the all-star break, he got named an all-star again before that injury. And since then, right, he came back, definitely not himself. And he was still an awesome leader for this team. Like, a lot of overblown comments about his impact on the team on the way out. But he's still a leader for this team. They were still good when he was playing. He played well for the 10 games or 9 games he played with this team that that season before he was traded for Levert and, and since then, even more downhill, right? under 500 last year, really struggling this year. So even from the perspective of we like our big man duo, we like Brogdon, we were psyched to get him, we're psyched to extend him, and we've really wanted Levert since the draft. We love all these guys. You know, at some point you got to go, okay, it didn't work. Like we tried this and it didn't work. So I understand them wanting to pivot and go a different direction and why they'd be so on the record about all that stuff despite, 
you know, along the way, a lot of the steps, a lot of the individual steps, you'd say, given all the context. Yep. I get why they traded Paul for these two guys. And I get why they wanted LaVert and Brogdon and all this stuff, but it clearly hasn't worked. And I understand why they would like to, to pivot directions and see how that goes. And whether it's rebuild or retool and your, your comments about Carlisle being, being more on board are very interesting to me because I mean, them just getting him for a very expensive four-year deal for a coach is part of the reason I've been so stunned to see the word rebuild you so much, but if he's more into it, maybe they'll get a little younger because Duarte is a big part of this and he is in his first year and very young. Well, well, no, he's not. That's the problem is that he's not that young. He's, he's a year younger than miles, isn't he? That can, that can make it a little more tenable to go younger. So perhaps my, my calculus is a little off with that. I, I think Duarte's 24, right? So he's a year younger than miles. And you know, a lot of people freak out over age with NBA, with the rookies. I think it is important to note that even if he's an old rookie, he is going to improve. Like Malcolm was the same thing. And, you know, now Malcolm's scoring 20 a night. Um, he's shooting the ball really poorly this year, and he's still scoring 20 a night. So imagine if he actually gets a shot together. It'll be, it'll be good. But so, you know, there when you get to the NBA, you get this level of training. You get you start to take care of your body better. It's like you're going to improve. But I, don't, I really think that if Pacers fans are looking at Duarte as a potential depot 2.0 that kind of you know that kind of level i would be very I, I would not look at it that way i think you're looking at hopefully he turns into like another brogdon level player you're looking at maybe your third or fourth best starter and obviously you could be better than that he looks pretty damn good right now but just at that age i just don't think there's a ton of growth room there but so i i think what's really important just going back to that pritchard quote um i made sure to hammer this point home in the story you know, PG, he, I think he left Indiana just because it was kind of like what Miles, well, maybe not quite the same as Miles with the role thing, but it's like he was there for seven years and they just never really got better. They never really gave him a complimentary offensive star to really push the team. And he was like, I got to go somewhere else. But we also, that whole time we knew he was going to LA, like he was leaving Indiana for LA. Depot, he can, he can refute my reporting and other people's reporting as much as he wants. He was running around the league. Him and his crew were telling everybody he's going to Miami for like a year. It was an open secret. I know that he like pretty angrily refuted. Okay, it was an open thing. And I remember him like trashing. I forget who reported it. But I think it might have been Jake Fisher uh, reporting that he was telling like people on the court that he was like, everybody knew that. It was J. Michael. Okay, everybody knew that. And I, you know, I remember I got a lot of I, like Indiana fans were co- coming at me with pitchforks uh, a couple of years ago because in my end of season report after the bubble on the Celtics, I mentioned that Hayward could go to Indiana and that Miles and Depot are both looking to get out of there potentially, and there could be a trade to be had there. And I didn't realize at the time I was basically breaking that Depot wanted out of Indiana. I guess nobody had actually really reported it. It was such an open thing in the NBA that I just kind of assumed it was already out there. And I could have put the Miami stuff in there, but I didn't just because I had just heard so much hearsay. But like I talked to so many people about that. The point is, is that it's really hard for Indiana to get a star that is fully invested in staying there. And Domas, I haven't really gotten that impression that he's fully invested in staying there, but he does have a good situation there where the offense is built around him. Malcolm, I asked him if he wanted to stay. He's like, yeah, I do want to stay. I like it here. I signed here for a reason. I didn't just sign here for the money. Like, I want to stay here. So Malcolm is locked in. I mean, we'll see how long that lasts, obviously. If they turn into garbage, then obviously he's not going to want to stay forever. But so... You know, it's like they don't quite have somebody who is in love with being there. And I think that's a big part of what they do with their next move is like finding someone who they just don't have to worry about selling him on being in Indiana, which is hard. Extremely hard. Extremely hard. And 
Bowing to stars is the NBA these days. Maybe they'll have to do something slimmer with whatever whatever their next guy is. Because that, it, especially in the market they're in, it's so difficult to have a guy fully committed. Like it seems like Levert, despite him being in rumors abound and not being at the level of a guy you're talking about, but it seems like he likes Indiana. TJ Warren has been reported many times to be a fan of Indiana and David West and him are tight. And West had a good, good relationship with the Pacers when he was here too. Right. So they have like, it's possible to find guys, just not necessarily the guys or like the top level guys. So it, well, I, I would say I, I wouldn't, I would not buy a cares Levert Jersey right now. <laughs> Locked on Spurs did a segment called should I buy this guy's Jersey, which was a hilarious way to talk about trades. I might have to steal that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, we could, we could talk Levert at a different time, but I, uh, I've gotten that impression as well that, you know, I don't know what his future necessarily holds with this team. And he could be a big part of a directional change, right? They were really high on him, and they might move off of him. And, look, you're in a, you are more plugged into this team than, than almost anyone like right now, especially. Like, Do you think this makes sense for them to be changing directions right now? I mean, to me? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, under 500 last year, 9-16 and 16 start. You got guys wanting different roles than they have. Oh, yeah, it makes sense to change direction. But I want to know what you think. Um, I'm not trying to take credit for this, but like the, the last week was a seismic shift for the way that they've been playing. And I think the system, the Carlisle system has been working better. You know, that this whole situation forced them to have a bunch of meetings and kind of air out a lot of stuff. They're playing better now. Give it some time. You know, they shouldn't. Honestly, I think as long as, as if TJ is really coming back in a month, which I'm a little dubious about, um, if he's coming back, then that gives you much more freedom to move Karras. You, you don't want to. You want to have that depth for now just because like they obviously need more wing depth. But if DJ is back and playing well, you don't really need to have Karras out there and you can move on from Karras and you know start to kind of get some fresh blood in here. Um, you know, get get some more shooting, which I think is something that they pretty clearly need. Um, maybe lean into more into O'Shea Brissett, which is tough because you obviously want to get Miles and and uh, Domas as much time out there as you can but I feel like there's a lot of these games where percent is just kind of winning it with his energy and I know you mentioned some of these games where Miles doesn't really play and I've, I've been at a couple of these games now where percent is just playing out of his mind and Miles doesn't play in the fourth quarter because he's playing so well it's like you can't really blame Rick for going with that I mean percent's just so impactful in those games but so there's like just enough there to get it all to click and make it work but at the end of the day, their biggest issue, which is what everybody, like literally all the interviews that did, everyone said this, was uh, closing out games. And this was the big part of the star conversation with Pritchard is like, we need someone that can actually just like take control of the game offensively at the end. And they don't really have that. TJ Warren showed he could probably do that in the bubble, but I don't think anybody's going to expect him to be doing that this year coming off the injury. So they might not have that guy. And at the end of the day, it's like you're, I, I don't, I think that, a lot of what Pritchard was saying was kind of sending a signal to Herb Simon, who he has a really good relationship with, a great relationship with, um, and to the rest of the league of like, we're ready to not settle for the treadmill of mediocrity at this point. We're ready to take a step back so that we can take a bigger step forward. Obviously, they're not willing to jump back so they can take a full leap forward, unless maybe they will, but it doesn't sound like it. But this team can take a nice step forward this year if everything clicks, but it just it's hard to see them jumping into the top half of the Eastern Conference. And because of that, I would rather just do a big retool. That all makes sense to me. Uh, I think that 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 is what they will try to do ultimately. Uh, they have some pieces that maybe make sense, but maybe not necessarily on the team that they would like to have. And it's funny that the treadmill of mediocrity quote came from Pritchard because he's the guy who coined that term originally. So for him to be the one that's saying we need to get off this thing and finally getting ownership on board, that seems like a huge step for this franchise as they try to 
pivot and change directions and figure out what they can or can't do with all these guys. You even mentioned this on Twitter, especially with regards to Carlisle comments, is that you had to cut a lot of the stuff from that conversation because the story became so lengthy and interesting. What Did you have anything very fascinating or very interesting to you personally that you cut from this one? Um, yeah, I mean, so much of the conversation with Rick was just about, uh, most of this made the, the piece just about how they've been instructing Miles to play, how they want to, they want him to keep his role simple. I think this, it was really interesting to, to read the subtext of what he was saying in real time of where he was saying things like, we want Miles to, to keep things simple. And that, that's a very nice code way of being like, stop trying to push your role because we don't want you to turn the ball over. And like, I'm always a fan of like, let these guys push their skill sets at the expense of turning the ball over so they can actually get better, especially early in the year when you're like trying to get these guys to ramp up their capability. But so he, we cut a lot of, I cut a lot of stuff about just like his theory on shooting mechanics and stuff like that. Cause he was working with Domas on his shooting, had some really interesting stuff about how he wants people to be rhythm shooters and how, you know, miles, like Miles is a very stationary shooter where when he shoots the ball, he doesn't have a huge sway like a lot of smaller guards will have where they want to move their body forward as they jump so that they can build momentum. And Domas was kind of working on being that kind of shooter. And I was asking him, like, you know, Domas is, what, 6'11"? Like, don't you want him to be a little bit more stable because he's so big he can just kind of stay as still as possible and just let his, you know, his wrist flick and his elbow flick do the rest. And he was talking about how it's like this is a rhythm league and he wants these guys to be ready to step in and transition and go right to a shot and stuff like that. So I just thought it was really interesting to kind of understand his thinking on how he's trying to turn Domas into a shooter. I think the very first practice after you left, uh, I saw Rick and Domas working together on shooting mechanics under a basket. Yeah, they were doing that while I was there too, yeah. I wasn't sure. I, oh, you were there for that one. I might in the last one you were there for. Yeah, a lot of... That was the one where everything blew up. It, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Oh, that was a fun week. Um, oh, yeah, it, <laughs> that is interesting. And, and I think that that's something about him that I've always thought is interesting is if he puts you in the game, he, he trusts you to shoot like from anywhere, which is very interesting for a team that like, especially McMillan kind of broke brains of fans to an extent, but like, you know, that hasn't really had shooters or like hasn't let Domas or McConnell or some of these other guys shoot as much. And now this year he's like, yeah, if you're in and you're open, take it. You know, that, that's an unusual philosophy shift for this team. And I think it's good. I also think it means that in any deals they do make, maybe they'll target a little more shooting than they have because they're in the bottom 10 in the league in shooting percentage. But that has been a fascinating pivot from this franchise. And I like a lot of the stuff Carlisle says about coaching. So I, I, I mean, he's a professional coach. I obviously trust him to do stuff. But just the way I think about basketball, I think he also kind of implements into the game. So it's been fascinating to see how that has actually affected this team and, and specific players like that. Last thing here, we'll go back to Miles because he could ultimately get dealt this year. And even beyond your reporting and his thoughts on his role, contractually, one and a half years left, next year becomes an expiring deal. That value goes down quite a bit. You don't have him for an offseason in your system. What do you feel like is a good fit for him? This could be the year that finally the big man duo in Indiana gets broken up. Do you, do you sense any teams that make a lot of sense for turn of this year? A lot. I mean, that's what's great for him is like there's so many teams out there. Um, and that's a funny thing is I got I think when I went on the ESPN radio there or whatever, they were asking me, like, who has more trade value? And I was like, well, obviously, Domas is the all star and he's the, and he's a really good offensive player. So you would think that's him. But the I think the market is more robust for Miles because he fits in so many places because most places don't really want to run their offense through their big man. And because Domas's defense has never been that good as a five, 
and I guess he's made some strides, but there's a lot of things in between. Like, his, you know, a few people talked to me about how they want him to communicate more and things of that nature. We obviously saw in the Miami game when him and Karis screwed up a coverage at the end of the game and they kind of got into it, like, you know, where they said, we're brothers, we fight, we love each other, all that stuff. Like, okay, sure. So, um, you know, Miles, with his pick and roll defense, his ability to defend in space, which has gotten a lot better, and just the fact that you can pick and pop and pick and roll with him, and he's really good at both. I think he can get a lot better as a roll man, but he doesn't get a ton of reps as a roll man, so there's still a ton more room for him. But obviously, he's shown his pick and pop skills are great. Almost every team in the NBA could use him. There's very few teams in the NBA that couldn't use him. You know, there's there's like four teams with all NBA centers that obviously don't need him. I had Chicago come up a lot with him, which is fascinating because they have an all-star center. They have another, you know, Vucevic, I feel like, is in a similar place to Domas in the league where he's, like, really good but not that good defensively. Um, but he at least is a knockdown three-point shooter, so I kind of didn't really see that. But uh, I had them brought up a lot of times to me, and a few people have floated the idea of trading Patrick Williams, which would be, like, them going all in. And I assume Kevin Pritchard would drive miles to the airport at that point. I mean, you're getting a, that's a, assuming Patrick Williams's health isn't a long-term red flag. That's like an obvious trade to do. I mean, Patrick Williams is a huge talent. Um, but so Charlotte is still very much in play. You know, you cannot. Jared, you and I will be uh, dead for 10 years and Charlotte will still be wanting to trade for miles Turner. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, like the Hayward for Turner and Karis or whoever else deal like that is always going to be a possibility. Um, you know, Hey, I, I think Hayward, is pretty satisfied with the way things are going in Charlotte, but Charlotte's Charlotte seems to be a lot better when Hayward is really running point. And obviously they have Lamelo, so they have to give Lamelo that up that you know that role when he's out there. If you bring him to Indiana, I mean he's going to be your point guard, and Brogdon's going to be your two around him offensively. It's like that that's that's really the way Hayward is playing right now. I mean that could be really great. So I could totally see them wanting to do that. I think Hayward. Hayward, I think, has a 50% trade kicker, so that's kind of almost a no-trade clause in a lot of places. I think he would be more than happy to waive that if it was to go to Indiana. Otherwise, I think he'd rather stay in Charlotte, but obviously he loves home. So that's always a possibility. Uh, the Lakers are certainly probably going to try to trade for Miles again. You know, They tried last year. It didn't work out. I think they're going to try again this year. Uh, he's such an obvious need for them. And... I mean, they ha they're stuck with Russ, I assume, so they're going to have to hope that Russ does this thing where he c gets it together in February and starts playing like an all-star. But if he doesn't, they're screwed. Like, they're barely a playoff team, and Miles would fix so much of their problems. Um, then, I mean, Boston's a pretty obvious candidate to make some pretty significant moves. I can't really tell who between Miles and Domas they would rather have. I feel like there's a really compelling cases for both those guys for them. And obviously, they have Rob Williams, so they can't bring in Miles and keep Rob Williams. That would be too redundant. Uh, try to think who else there is. There, there are definitely a few other teams. I mean, Dallas is an obvious one. Dallas fans, Dallas fans badly want him. Uh, let's not do that to Miles. That's not fair. Um, but yeah, obviously the Kings. Although I think I really like Rashawn Holmes. Uh, and then who am I? Oh, the Knicks. The Knicks are a very strong candidate to go for him. They, you know, they have a pretty, they have a pretty comparable like for like trade partner with uh, with Mitchell Robinson. I don't know how you play Mitchell Robinson and Domas Sabonis on the same court, so I think you only make that trade if you're planning on re-signing Robinson for one because he's a free agent, and then you're planning on trading Domas in the offseason. doesn't really make sense to do it that way. But if they could get Obi Toppin or Emmanuel quickly, but they have Malcolm Brogdon, so I'd rather have Obi Toppin, Toppin most likely, that's a very, very possible trade right there. And I, I do think there's a lot of mutual interest between Turner's camp and the Knicks and probably the Pacers and the Knicks too. 
Nothing like uh, the team with all this rookie trading for a 23-year-old sophomore to really, <laughs> really grease the wheels. Yeah, those all make sense to me. And the value thing is fascinating because I've, I've kind of long compared Domas' trade value to Vooch's from last year, but I don't know if that if it is even possible to compare it that way because of Vooch's shooting makes him a little more of a fit with any team in the way that Domas might not be. Um, but yeah, it could be like if Turner has a ton of demand, but is a little bit worse of a player and Zabonis is better, but has less demand. Like, how does that shake out their values? I've yet to see. And it's going to be interesting because I can see a way where the Pacers say they don't necessarily pick one. And they just say, whatever we feel like we can get more from, that's the direction we'll go in. Oh, that's what every single person has told me. That's exactly it. Kind of get the vibe that that is something they will consider. So uh, that, that could be a fascinating way to determine how this their season and, and their direction really changes is how they consider those kind of offers. So, Jared, thank you so much for the time. I asked you more questions than I told you I would. Where can people follow you and all your work if they haven't already read the story that we've referenced uh, for the last whole time we've been talking, basically? <laughs> yeah, it's at The Athletic. Cover the Celtics. Cover the NBA over there. Uh, and find me on Twitter at Jared Weiss NBA. Jared, you and I both have to find a way to get NBA out of our ads, even though we cover the league, I think. It, I always am like, oh, why did I do that? I think I'm going to keep it there. No, I, I did it because nobody would give a crap who I was when I was like uh, just coming out of college. But now there's a, I think he's like a saxophonist named Jared Weiss. So I can't, I can't top that. He's got, he's got the handle and I'm stuck with this and screw it. I mean, I'm only an NBA guy unless I start covering premier league or F1, which is never going to happen. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be an NBA guy for life. So I, I can live with it. Yeah, I, it doesn't actually matter. I'm always like, ah, dang it. Yeah, but, uh, no, yeah, at, least, at least we weren't those fools that put our outlet in our handle when we got on Twitter back in the day. Those are the people that really screwed up. <laughs> They're stuck. Jared, thank you for the time. This show is on Twitter at Lockdown Pacers and me at T East NBA. If you haven't, again, I highly recommend you read Jared's piece in The Athletic. Tomorrow, talking Pacers Bucks with no Giannis. See how that game goes for the Pacers. And they play the Pistons the day after. Talk about that game as well. And still another interesting guest to come this week. So thank you guys a ton for listening. Have a great rest of your day and we will see you tomorrow.